Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember the story story. story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. (laughs) 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 Episode 8. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. The podcast where me and my sister Jess listen to our dad, Steve, tell us stories from his ridiculous life. And today we've got more excitement, I'm hoping. Uh, So, Stevie... What story do you have for us today? More of Zambia, I hope. Yes, I've got two stories, um, which you might loosely entitle Matters of Life and Death, or in one case, Death and Life. I might say this is what we've all been waiting for, the life Mm. or death stories. They're coming up! Mm. Spoiler alert, he's still here. (laughs) But before that, I thought, because this chronological going through my life is kind of, you miss out bits, and I thought each time I might just do a little snippet about something that's not in the chronological order. And so I thought I would talk to begin with about my grandpa Clark, uh, my father's father. And uh, he was, I always thought of him as a Victorian gentleman. And I guess he probably was born in Victoria, Queen Victoria's reign, although I'm not sure about that. Mm. But it must have been at the beginning of the 20th century uh, sometime. And he was a businessman and an entrepreneur. And he set up a company, um, Gentlemen's Outfitters was the description of the company, which was a, basically a high-class tailoring shop that sold men's clothes. And it was uh, situated in the town of Godalming, where I grew up. And so it was called, not surprisingly, Clarks of Godalming. Hey! Pod Clarks of Godalming, that should have oh, been our there podcast we go. title. When we sell merchandise, oh. that's what we're going to do. We'll set oh, up our shop. so nice. You can buy badges, T-shirts and pencils. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could still happen. The, um, the, the site of my grandfather's shop um, was subsequently taken over uh, when, he, when it was closed down, and it is now a betting shop, unfortunately. But um, because he was brought up and lived his life as a strict Baptist... I mean, I don't know what strict Baptists are, actually, but the Baptists are quite strict. So the strict Baptists presumably are stricter than the Baptists, which is... Um, Super strict. He would be turning in his grave if, if he knew it was a betting shop. But anyway, be that as it may. And I don't think I ever saw him when he wasn't wearing a three-piece suit. Mm-hmm. You know, on all occasions, he wore a three-piece suit with a nicely tied tie and a waistcoat. And uh, Clarks of Godalming uh, was a, a shop that was well-known throughout the southeast of England. People used to come to Godalming to buy their clothes there uh, and it was very high quality and, and lots of anecdotes and stories could come out of that in the future. But I just wanted to talk about Grandpa Clark because he was a, a man of his era really and as always, you know, I wish I'd had time to talk to him a bit more about his outlook on life. Um, but there's something very, very funny happened which will surprise you as much <laughs> as it surprised me <laughs> on the time. And uh, I, I don't think... Now, this is, this is interesting. I don't think I've ever told this story to anyone oh. ever before. <gasps> oh, my oh, goodness. Guys, it's a Podclarks exclusive. And I'm now <laughs> I'm choosing to broadcast it to the world. But anyway, uh, he, he, Edward Clark was married to Jenny Clark, his, uh, his wife. And they were great. But unfortunately, Jenny 
died some years before Grandpa Edward, and um, even more unfortunately, he then suffered what we now know is Alzheimer's disease. Um, and he came to live with us for quite some time during that period. And it was very sad, actually, because he had to keep hearing the news that his wife had died because mm -hmm. he'd come down in the morning and he'd say to his son, my father, John Clark, he'd say, um, uh, where's mother? Meaning Jenny, Jenny Clark. Mm -hmm. And my dad, John Clark, had to say to him, oh, you know, father, she's she's gone. She's died. And so every morning he was very upset because it was like he heard the news for the first time. Mm. And over time, he gradually... Uh, gradually changed his question to has mother gone it was sort of sinking in until eventually mm. he did and it was, it was very sad but he, he used to sit in our front room and um we had some extraordinary 1970s wallpaper in that front room with um <laughs> big orange circles on it and um he used to sit in his chair and quite often during a day he'd say um because i suppose those circles are about the size of a dinner plate aren't they and, you know, so we just couldn't resist it because we went and got a dinner plate and put it up on the wall. And they were always, well, they were never going to change. <laughs> <laughs> they were always the size of a dinner plate. Exactly the size of a dinner plate. And was, he was very pleased no with that because it yeah. was, he, was, he was very satisfied. Um, mm. Anyway, he uh, was sitting in our front room uh, and he picked up a copy of a magazine um, that was published uh, by the um, uh, some Christian community anyway, and it was called Buzz Magazine. So this has been the 1970s, I suppose. Um, and uh, he picked up this this magazine um, and was leafing through it, but it was for young people really, and it had a a section in it was which was like a agony aunt um, section, mm -hmm. where you could um, write in with your problems or your questions. He uh, he picked up this magazine and he was leafing through it and reading the articles and he obviously got to the agony aunt section or the Ag agony uncle section and um, he was he was reading and peering at it and um, I, I suppose I was about fourteen or fifteen maybe I suppose anyway he called me over and he said um, he said what does this word mean and he pointed to the word masturbation. <gasps> To who did he say that to? To you? To me, fifteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old Steve. And I, I tell you, I've been in my life bright pink as a beetroot only about twice. And that was I, one of the times. And my ears were like on fire with redness. Well, I didn't. I, anyway, genius response, absolutely genius response. I I just went and got a dictionary and gave him the dictionary and, and, and ran. Very good. And you ran as, as far as away as I could. Uh, that is, do you know what that's, that is reminding me of um, a sort of a similar story, but a generation um, down where, so we were all with my grandpa, your dad, John Clark. And I guess I must have now been... Now I'm wondering what's coming. <laughs> I guess I must have been... Um, I would I would say like 12 or 13 or something. Um, and I don't know if either of you remember, um, there's a book series called Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging. Yes. Which... Uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> oh, so they are they are absolutely brilliant books. They're, they're, they're written by Louise Renison and it's a series of books that follows... Um, uh, the protagonist is called Georgia Nicholson and she's a teenage girl and it's basically her diary it's like it's like Adrian Mole but but right. for a kind of I guess 90s early noughties audience and 
and they're so funny. The books are really funny because it it really charts her kind of um just the awkwardness of being a teenager and also like all her crushes and just mm. and like her friends and anyway they absolutely love them and me and Anna both used to read them and, and love them anyway and then we came into the living room to find <laughs> grandpa reading the book <laughs> <laughs> and just and just that sense of like run away <laughs> yeah is it too yeah. late to snatch it out of his hands is it too late to pretend <laughs> I don't know what this book is what's going on and just be like I don't know Ooh, I'm going to go somewhere else but very funny so that was my little snippet as an introduction Um, (laughs) great snippet it was an absolute (laughs) global exclusive for the podcast Um, you heard uh, it here first (laughs) very much enjoyed that one yeah me too (laughs) so now you you remember that um, in episode 7 I had arrived in Zambia aged 22 and um, I had been allocated to a College, the National Forestry College of Zambia, to be the head of science. For this first story, I'm going to skate over the two years that I spent there. Uh, we will come back to, to that period. But at the very end of that two years, um, my good old phony friend, um, Andrew, who featured in episode six, oh. if you want to... Uh, <laughs> I, so I, 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 yes. That's your own pun. Uh, yes. yes, it is it's my Tommy's own pun. pun. I it's Tommy's pun. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's Tommy's own pun. <laughs> I just want to clarify that that work's written down, said out loud. It sounds a bit like he's a phony friend. It's because he likes phones. As in telephones. He's a good friend. I'm just going to say, if you have to explain it... <laughs> yeah, if you have to explain it, you shouldn't have said it in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> they're the best jokes he's explaining because they're complicated. They've got layers. Anyway, Andrew, that Andrew from episode six, um, arrived in Zambia. And the idea was that we were going to travel home over land. And that is another whole series of stories and adventures. But before we did that, and in my last week or so of uh, my time in Zambia, we decided to go down and visit the Victoria Falls. Now, um, some of the listeners to this podcast will have been to Zambia or Zimbabwe. And we'll know that the border between the two, part of the border between the two, is made up of this fantastic waterfall um, that's 90 metres drop. And it's spread over, I don't know, probably about half a mile, I think. And it's, it's a, 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 a sort of very sharp edge dropping 90 metres and the River Zambezi going um, either side of it mm-hmm. um, and flows down into Zimbabwe and it comes from uh, Zambia. And so it's very wide. The river is very wide at that point. And um, we turned up there, and it's a gorgeous, lovely day. Um, everything seemed peaceful. And we, we noticed, uh, because at different times of the year, you have different amounts of water flowing down through through the river. So at Christmas, I believe, it's the rainy season. And it's not so good, because there's so much water uh, p- pounding over the edge that it sprays up, and you actually can't see very much, because it's all covered in mist. Mm. Um, and in fact, the local name for it, is Mosi Otunya, which is smoke that thunders because of this um, mm. noise of thundering water and the mist coming up. That's a good name. Yeah, it is smoke that thunders. So, um, and in fact, just as a aside, the national beer of Zambia is also called Mosi. Very good beer, that is. <laughs> Won several awards in international competitions, I believe. Other beers are available. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go a long way to get a Mosi, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, anyway, we we, not- we noticed and we knew that there wasn't much water flowing. So uh, we took our picnic and we picked our way from the edge of the river um, into the middle of it because there were lots of rocks and um, outcrops of rock and bits to jump from. It was 
totally safe. There was nothing uh, worrying about it. But we were able to pick our way to the very centre. And in fact, there was a rock right on the edge with water flowing sort of either side. And we could just sit and dangle our legs over the edge, um, which was an extremely exciting place to have a picnic, as you mm. can imagine. Mm. And uh, so we were, we were happily uh, having our picnic. And um, then we, we decided it was time to go back to the shore. We, we stood up and looked back behind us. And whereas there had been dozens and dozens of rocks to jump from, there were, there were perhaps five or six. And they were going, they were disappearing. And we, we realised... Yeah that even though it hadn't rained, the, the level of the water was rising very rapidly. And it, there was a reason for this, because it subsequently turned out that just upstream, uh, there was a hydroelectric power plant. And um, what that did was take a large volume of the water that was flowing down the Zambezi River and divert it through a tunnel, uh, which would then turn a turbine as it rejoined the, the, the flow at the bottom um, in the Zimbabwean side. So that bulk of that flow was not coming down through the river. It was going through a tunnel at the side, if you see what I mean. Mm. Um, however, there was a problem with the hydroelectric power station and they'd have to switch off the pumps and the circuits because there was some problem, which meant they had to instantly divert the main flow back into the river, um, which was where we were sitting in the middle of it. Mm. So, I mean, oh. none of this was known at the time. But we just couldn't so understand. to have happened right when you were there. Yeah. And, and I don't think many people dance around on the edge of that, of that waterfall. Some people do, idiots, but not many. <laughs> but it, it happened to happen when we were in the middle of the, of the river. And we realised that this was rising and continuing to rise. And so it didn't look too good, really, because um, as anyone who knows has been in fast-flowing water... It's only got to be hasn't got to be very deep before you lose your your stability, mm. um, and I suppose it was up to perhaps calf level um, at this point. So anyway, we knew what we had to do: walk away from the edge upstream, and so we set off, picnic basket in hand, walking upstream, happily confident that we would be able to get safely up until we could work out a way of getting to this, the bank. Well, it was at this point that the people on the bank started shrieking at us and waving and shouting and and waving their hands in the air, saying, no, no, crocodiles. And apparently, <laughs> just upstream, I kid you not, <laughs> upstream, there were no. some crocodiles. No. So they were, I mean, we knew, we knew that crocodiles were definitely extremely dangerous. So it was a choice. How, how do you want to die? Is it by eaten by, <laughs> by a crocodile or plunging over a 90-metre drop? I don't know what you would choose. It's a what would you rather, but I don't want to play. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not confident I could beat an alligator or even, as you said, a crocodile. Not the same thing in a fight, but... You might be able to survive at 90... No, 90 metres yeah, is really far. I'd, I'd, I would go for the drop over the alligator, but it's not a choice. It's a crocodile, to... not an alligator. <laughs> oh, Jess. sorry. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> do, I, do I keep saying that? <laughs> no, I, I said it, and then you said... Oh, no. This is terrible. We don't even know what we're saying anymore. Croc- crocodile. Anyway, either way. Just in brackets. I mean, there was a case of a man who had disliked his wife so much that he took her to the Victorial Falls and he pushed her off. And then, a real? No, this is true. This is true. I mean, it's, there is a, it's a very sad story, but it's also slightly odd because he then jumped off. He committed suicide and jumped off, except that his wife died and he survived. So you can survive at a 90 metre drop. 
So, gosh, that was a really tragic way of saying that you can survive a ninety meter drop. Well, <laughs> the front. I mean, the strange thing was he was he was then charged with murder and convicted, mm. yeah. sentenced to death. So the whole thing oh, was cheated because it was yeah. like a, a, mm. a wild. So anyway, back to the story. I thought, I thought for half a minute you were going to say he survived, but then got eaten by crocodiles. Mm. Uh, no, but he <laughs> no, he he did survive. But we were perched on the edge of certain death. It seemed, and I mean, I think we were worried um and so we edged our way back down and by this time the the water was up sort of above our knees and it was actually very clear we wouldn't be able to make it to the bank without losing our footing and Mm. and almost certainly being um washed over the edge so um what to do well eventually somebody on the bank went and called somebody from the hydroelectric um, power station and they came down and there was a they knew that about um 20 yards up from the edge, there was a little low wall that had been built under the, uh, uh, across, the, across the river, which was by now below, below uh, water level, so you couldn't see it. But this wall was, I think, four inches, yeah, about four inches wide. And so they showed us where it must be, and we found it with our feet, and um, step by step picked our way across along this wall because at least it was stable flat not going to move you know and, and there was less likelihood of us losing our losing our footing and uh, and we made it to the bank to a, a riotous applause and cheers from mm. the, uh, the the nervous crowd who had gathered to watch us mm. and be oh, eaten by crocodiles or plunged over the edge gosh, that's... but um that was one of the times in my life where i i sort of faced the possibility of of an early end shall we say <laughs> how how much did like how much did you engage with it how much was that was it that you were worried and then there was a wall and then you got out or was there a was there a bit of time where it was very no I think it was just as I described it and the thing is uh when Andrew and I are together we we there's there's never really any any serious chance of being too worried because we've got some fairly high escapades and um mm. and we just generally sort of make light of it I think really uh, it didn't it, I don't feel I was traumatized mm. by it so mm. so that was the first matter of life and death shall I move on to the second story why ever not yeah the second matter. Well, this is a matter of death and life. Ooh. And this is wild, this story. I'll tell you that to begin with. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> what's interesting about this story is that it's first-hand. So it, <clears throat> uh, this happened to the person who told it to me. So it's second-hand to you, if you like, but it's first-hand to me. So sometimes you hear a story that's unbelievable and you think it's an urban myth, and it or very often is. But this one definitely isn't an urban myth. But I'll leave you to make your own conclusions so I was in the copper belt up in the north of Zambia as I mentioned last time and I decided to go on a trip to visit a missionary uh, in the northwest province right up in the top north of uh, of Zambia right on the border with Angola and if you look at a map of Zambia the, the borders there are all straight lines because they were drawn under some convention where Africa was being carved up after some war or other and it's just ridiculous when you look at the borders because they don't follow any natural boundaries and they sometimes split um, ethnic groups into two different countries or included ethnic groups that had previously been in different countries so it's all crazy but it's a very interesting place and it's quite barren and uh, I went up to visit this missionary who I'd met somewhere along the line and I mean I can tell you that the missionaries come in all shapes and sizes and um some of them are more palatable than others. Um, and, and this particular missionary was an extremely cool dude. He was a brilliant guy. I, I, I was really, really liked him, <laughs> which is why I travelled 
I don't know, eight hours on a cronky old bus and several cars and a taxi or another to go and see him. Mm. And he lived very, very simply. He lived in a, and effectively in a, not a mud hut exactly, but a, a hut with, um, with straw and, um, uh, and, and mud walls and a thatched roof, um, no electricity uh, on site, just a, a well for water and very, very attractive lifestyle actually. Um, and I arrived there and uh, he, he was very welcoming and we, I remember we had a meal and then, you know, in that part of Africa and near the equator, the, the sun rises and sets at six o'clock. You know, it's funny, it gets up at six in the morning and it sets throughout the year, more or less. It varies mm. a little bit. And also darkness comes very quickly. Um, it's not so gradual as in our part of the world here. But um, so there we were with the cicadas chirruping away and the sort of sounds of the African bush. Um, and as I'm telling you this, it reminds me that every time I've landed in Africa, my heart beats faster. It's the most amazing place. I mean, it's a massive number of different countries and lots of different kinds of countries and different kinds of people. But but the whole kind of continent of Africa has got something about it um, that you talk to a lot of people who visited and you never quite leave it behind somehow. Mm. Anyway, um, all of that, this experience contributed to that feeling in me now, um, sort of very atmospheric evening. And also there's something about quite a lot of African people that is they're much sort of closer to the earth and nature and the sort of fundamental things of life than than we have become in our modern lives in Western society I think mm. um, and the kind of the unexpected supernatural things that don't make sense seem to happen more often um, and that may be wrong but that's that this is one of those occasions when uh, this missionary was talking to me and um, we were sitting there with a little oil lamp flickering for light and um, it was a bit too early to go to bed and we were talking about life, the universe and everything. And he, he got on to telling me about how he had been working in a, um, in a village not far away um, and his work was to do with um, helping people live better lives but also he was a missionary so he was um, talking about the Christian gospel as well but his his primary sort of activity was um, improving the agriculture and putting wells in and so on and he said that he'd, he'd found that the people really appreciated all of that kind of stuff but he hadn't made much progress on um, <laughs> selling Christianity shall we say <laughs> but but there were three women three women who had um, converted as a result of his presence there that's the sort of backdrop uh then he was called or he heard that um a young woman had been bitten by a snake in this village um and you'll remember my tales of the snake from from episode mm. seven where zambia has a number of very very venomous snakes um now i don't actually remember which snake it was that had bitten her but it was one of these snakes that you you probably aren't going to survive from mm. so um he heard that she'd been bitten by the snake and uh, that she had died. So he went, and by the time he'd heard that, it was a couple of days. And by the time he got there, it was three days. But the, the, the mourning process was still going on. You know, I think our way of mourning in, in our part of the world is, <clears throat> is very flawed because, you know, we, we try not to show that we're upset if somebody dies. Um, and people will even say, you know, Oh, they're being very strong because they haven't cried at the funeral or something like that. Mm. It's, whereas, 
Whereas um, in Zambia, particularly in this particular part of Zambia, the the the, the way of 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 mourning is to make a lot of noise and you know shrieking and yelling and um even some dancing but but just expressing the emotion that people feel when somebody's dies. anyway mm. he arrived at this village and um the women were all in a particular room a hut um with the body of this girl there and um he I've actually got this story slightly wrong okay so he didn't go until after this had all happened so anyway the, the women are all around the body of this girl and it included these three women who had converted to Christianity. Mm. And they had been recent converts. They didn't know anything really at all. Very unsophisticated um, religious background. But they felt they wanted to do something. And um, so they decided to pray for this girl who had been dead for two days. And um, anyway, after a short period of time, this girl coughed. What? And sat up and uh, asked for something to drink and to eat. (laughs) So they gave her something to eat and drink and uh, then she lay back down again. So at this point, by now, the women, apart from the three women who had prayed for this girl, the rest of the women had fled and run away. I mean, obviously, the girl had been dead for for two days and for her to sit up and ask for something to drink was like... um, you know very terrifying mm. terrifying yeah and i mean you know whatever you think about spirits of of good or evil they they imagine the worst really um so she lay back down again and nobody quite sure whether anything else was going to happen but according to this story um she then later got up um recovered completely and uh, she'd been out collecting mushrooms when she was bitten and she resumed her, her job collecting mushrooms. So imagine me sitting over a table um, with this oil light flickering. And even in that context, I'm thinking what you're thinking, which is, yeah, but that, that didn't, it wasn't really like that. It can't have been really like that. Um, doesn't fit with my sort of experience and knowledge. So anyway, this chap was the same. He said, it can't have been, it can't have happened like that really. Mm. So he went to this village to to see what had gone on and to see what had happened. And um, he said to me, as the oil light flickered, he said, you know, Stephen, he said, the um, the funny thing is, I didn't believe it. You know, I'm a missionary. I've come here to um, preach the gospel and I say all the words, and I, but I didn't believe it. He said, but the thing was, he said, I knew that girl. I knew her well because I'd been in that um, village for a long time. And... Um, she suffered from leprosy and she had leprosy for um, a decade or more and she had a wound on her leg that was open almost to the bone that just wouldn't heal and she'd been to clinic after clinic and doctor after doctor hospital after hospital uh, such was available in that area and um, and it just didn't heal and wouldn't heal um, and he said but what persuaded me that this implausible story was true was that when I saw her, that wound had completely gone. You couldn't even see as if there had been any wound there on her leg at all. To the extent, I said to myself, has she got a twin sister? Because this can't be the same girl. Mm. But there it was. I'd just offer you that story as a matter of death and life. So she not only came back to life, but also healed her leg at the same time. Exactly. And she was no longer a leper. That is a really good day. That is a really good day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You definitely ticked all the boxes of a good day there. (laughs) 
that is that's very hard to it's hard to hear and and <clears throat> not think not naysay yeah. yeah yeah it's just the instinct isn't it but it... yeah spooky didn't know it's gonna go spooky we should have done this a month ago for halloween <laughs> i would query it being called a first-hand story though because by the sounds of it he wasn't there to see the girl sit up in that moment he wasn't no the the i mean the first first-hand bit was about the 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 um, wound on her leg really mm. i suppose um but I mean, you're right. That's not a direct link to to everything else. But I mean, see, I told um, you, it's all rubbish. It's all nonsense. <laughs> Can't possibly have happened. It's not first hand. <laughs> but I mean, I, 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 it's not a podcast exclusive. But I haven't talked a lot about that story because it's mm. just, um, it's just very, very thought provoking. Is the word I'd use for it. It's mm. uh, you turn it over. Is it? Head, yeah. Is it possible that she wasn't dead and that people hadn't? I, don't know. I guess so. I mean, I guess everything's possible. Um, you Maybe know, that, the venom all... in the snake puts you into like a light coma or something. And who knows? There's so many ways that you can try and be like, no, it's not true. And we'll never <laughs> get any answers. But no, we'll never know. Interesting, though. But exciting story and worth travelling all that exciting. way to hear. Um, yes. And uh, I, I will never, never forget that. Um, mm. Perfect. I thought you, you, you told that with, with real... So beautifully. Oh, yeah, there was so much atmosphere. I felt like yeah. I could feel the the guy leaning in and telling you the story. I could see the flickering oil lamp. It was great. Yeah, yeah. and I, I really liked your excitement of the continent as well. That was I liked mm. the way you said that because I mm. I don't I can't think of what it reminds me, but there's something that gives me that feeling as well. But I can't think what it is. But I'm like <laughs> I know what you mean when it's like every, there's various experiences you have that build something up to be special. That's good. How many of the countries in Africa do you th- have you visited? I did count them Ooh. up. I think it's 19 or 20, I think. Um, wow. And there might be 50, 40 or 50. I don't know There's how many fi- there are. There's 54. There you go. Mm. So I'm not, I mean, not even halfway. But um, But I would, I would say that visiting 20 countries is, seems like a lot. Pretty good going. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, each one's got a story. So I don't know how long we can carry on with this lark, but I mean... Uh, we'll, see, we'll, we'll do a side <laughs> podcast, which is just... Um, yeah, no, let's, let's do... One is hard enough, let's stick with one. Instead of podclocks of Godalming, podclocks of Africa, and we do one episode for each country. Mm-hmm. Is it true that you can name every... I'm not going to ask you to do it on the, on the, on the podcast, <laughs> but you can do every country in Africa, Jay? Um, it's cool, cool. Yes, I, I, I absolutely could... I reckon now, I think my hit rate might be a bit more like... I reckon I could probably do 50 out of 54. I imagine there would be mm. a couple that would slip my mind. But, but yeah, I, at one point I could, I could list them all and I was, I was very proud of it. Mm. I remember when I was proud that I learned all the countries of Europe and that is a much smaller achievement and a much more obvious achievement. I feel like everybody probably <laughs> should be able to do that anyway, but I couldn't. But By everybody, do you, mean, do you mean everyone who lives in Europe? No, everybody in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everybody in, like, my friendship group and stuff, like, people who are similar to us. Not everybody. I'm going to, you know, if you use the word everybody, you've got to be specific. Yeah, I do. I'm sorry. You know, um, their brother David... That is not a monk. I mean, my <laughs> I brother. Hello, you know, brother David. Yes, the holiest of them all. <laughs> my brother. Yes, Uncle my David. brother David. 
he he went across the Sahara Desert when he was 19 or something. And uh, it was a time when nobody ever went anywhere like that. It was long before sort of backpacking or trekking was a thing. And um, he, he went with a missionary, actually, and they travelled across in a, in a Land Rover. And um, my mother, Laura, I mean, when we waved him off, I, I did think we didn't, weren't sure at all we'd ever see him again because um, he was gone for a year and in fact when he came back we didn't we hadn't ever seen him again because he was such a different different uh-huh. different kind of a person he had a slight vague australian accent when he came back from huh. from uh, his time in in africa he was in chad and uh my mother laura when he left um plotted his route on a map and she wrote postcards and things to the post offices along the route. Mm. And there is this thing called post restaurants. You might or might not know about it, where you you used to be able to send something to a post office, and it just stayed there until somebody came to collect it. And um, she used, and in fact, at one point she thought, I bet he hasn't got any sunglasses. So she sent him some sunglasses to a, a post office. But I mean, as you had to put a customs declaration on saying what was inside I think I don't think they lasted very long anyway he never got them he never got oh, them. No. <laughs> but, he, but he did he did get the postcards that were along mm. the way from mm. time to time and um there were, there were various towns and uh one of them I just I've just forgotten it actually but it, the only reason I knew it was because he visited it and picked up a postcard there and then when many years later I was flying to Nigeria for some business deal or other uh, you know, there's those maps in the planes that show you where you're flying over, and they're very random p- places. They say what towns are that you're flying. Mm. Anyway, there was this, there was this, um, this town came up on 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 the map. To, I was flying right over the top of where David had picked up this postcard from hmm. Laura Clark all those mm. years ago. Hmm. Very so David was installing wells as well in Chad. Mentioning Chad, funnily enough. I have a story related to Ch- a very short, boring story, but a fun no. piece of information about my life, which was that I did a pub quiz last week and one of the questions was name a four-letter country, which no other team has named. So, I mean, you have to come up with a unique one, a bit like um, Jess will tell me what show. Pointless? Oh, pointless. Pointless. I got yeah, it pointless. myself. Yeah. Got it myself. And we chose Chad and we, and we got the point. And in fact, then went on to win the pub <gasps> quiz. Whoa. Thank you so much. That's Thank a big you. achievement. What did you it get? Was. Did you get a bar tab? I think it was the first time I've ever won a pub quiz, as far as my memory goes. But that could I be. I really wrong. want to win a pub quiz. I don't it think was, I ever have. I can recommend winning one. It's really fun. <laughs> um, we got. It was in a brewery. Was the like a venue, and they gave us a mixed um, box of beers of theirs. And I think, great. I think it was eighteen beers. So like a lot. It was a lot of business. Was, it's, yeah. only, it's only four of us, so... <laughs> That's a good quiz yeah. to win. It was. Just to follow up on your story of, of winning prizes and linked to Africa, uh, my sister Rosemary, who you mm. know and Rosie love... Rosie Mose. Rosie Mose. She went and worked in Ethiopia, amongst other places. And uh, while she was there, she went to this fair and uh, it had a big jar of sweets, little jelly beans or something full of these sweets, and you had to guess the number of sweets in the jar. So she did guess it, and she was the closest to the number of sweets in the jar. In case you don't know, guess what the prize was? You'd think it would be the jar of beans, wouldn't you? Yeah. No, it wasn't. It was a return ticket to England. 
on Ethiopian yeah. Airlines. And she well, came I mean, back to see That's much better than a bar of sweets. A bar of sweets. A jar of sweets. <laughs> Ethiopian Airways or Ethiopia Airways, am I right? Oh, yeah, like Zambia Airways. Ethiopia Airways. No, it's an I. Ethiopia Airways. Ethiopia Airways. Mm, I, I, I totally just lost connection at the at the pinnacle of my joke telling, and so I missed whatever you. If you laughed, I missed it. I'm assuming you laughed. Oh yeah, we roared. Yeah, we roared with laughter. Raucest. Well, that was an excellent uh, set of tales. I really enjoyed all of them. It was. Yeah, um, never let it be said we're not varied. I mean, seriously. <laughs> seriously. And if anyone is interested in some uh, Podclark's merchandise, be it a pencil, a badge or a T-shirt, um, just drop us a comment and let us know and we'll think about eventually making them. <laughs> and selling them at the Podclark's of Godalming. Podclark's exactly. Godalming. For all of our keen listeners in Godalming. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very specific and niche audience base, but, uh, but we've yeah. got them. Nice. Well, you know what to do. Follow us at the Podclark's on all of the social medias, Twitter, Insta, Facebook. Like follow, tweet, subscribe, give us a rating and tell your friends about the exciting tales of Stephen Clark. They're only getting dun, better. Dun, I mean, you know, dun, it's, dun. we're definitely, definitely on a roll now with, with excitement. Just call us butter because we're Cause on, I'm a on a roll. <laughs> Do you know, Jay, I'm sure, I'm sure Jay remembers this, but that joke... <laughs> Do you remember where that joke where Yeah, 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 the yeah, Lion okay, King game. The Lion King game. <laughs> I love it so it, much you had a little Timon being like, just call me butter because I'm, I'm on, on a roll. roll. And that is a joke that has stuck with me forever and it was from uh, it probably came in a cereal box or something. It was like a, a CD ROM of a Lion King game that we had when we were tiny. And that, my friends, is the last story you're getting from us. <laughs> today can i even tell you about the poster i had on my bedroom ceiling which was no i got free from coleman's mustard other mustards are available but there were four of them <laughs> and the one that i can remember had a picture of a roll with a big grinning face on it he said put mustard on it and rock a ham roll <laughs> <laughs> great there we put go. mustard on it and rock, and a, rock ham a ham roll, roll. There we go. it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me